Algar Productions. Welcome to the Post-Atomic Horror, the most comprehensive Star Trek podcast ever produced, with your hosts, Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Hi, friends. Here we are back at where it all started. Yep. They, back at the very beginning. They said it couldn't be done. Wait, no. Who said we that? said we shouldn't do it again. Yeah. This is one of those that a bunch of you mm-hmm. uh, tweeted and, and, and wrote to us and so forth and said, well, you're obviously doing the cage again, right? And uh, to, to the point where we, we felt like we kind of had to. Yeah. And the thing is, okay, first of all, I'm... You know, a little contrarian. I get that. I get it. I get that streak in me. If sure. someone's like, if a listener says this is what your show should be, I automatically want to do the opposite of that. Close the show down. It's over. I would just delete the original episode that we did on the cage. Gonna, like there. Now we're not doing it at all. Fuck you. We're gonna do it despite that one guy on Twitter. Yeah. No, it's been a few people. I would say I've heard from somewhere between five to ten people right. about this. You know, not not a groundswell of support, but definitely more than one person. So like eighty percent of our audience. I have no idea how big our audience is. <laughs> Not a damn clue. How would I have that information? Um, but, uh, and I think, you know, the joke is we used to complain about the cage. Mm-hmm. about Because, and I've, I've already talked about this, but really, we weren't used to having to watch something twice. Yeah, see, I was, ta- I was explaining it to Mal last night. It's like, we watched, the, so we watched the cage twice. We watched it once yeah. by ourselves and once together. And then it's the first time we ever had to watch something twice, which felt like way too much to us. Now it's just common practice. But back then it was like, do I need to watch this two times? Yeah. And then we watched it again when Menagerie rolled around, like, what, four weeks later? Yeah. Which which splits it into two episodes. So really, we watched it six times. Yeah. And, and in, by that in point, the space it was of like, about a month. There is nothing we haven't done that is not watching the cage. I have seen Christopher Pike crawl around on this planet eight million times. Yes, but this was uh, the, the our show launched in September 2010. Mm-hmm. It is now November 2018. I don't remember what happened in the last season of Discovery that we just finished. Yep. I definitely am not going to remember anything about the cage, and, and that's how it turned out. Mm-hmm. So, for for those of you who think you're you're doing a hilarious joke on us, well, the joke's on you because we remember nothing. Yeah. <laughs> this was like a fresh and new. Like fun. Oh, look at this! This is where it all started, yeah. huh? Who's this guy? Yeah. Uh, and and the other reason we we had discussed this, I, I think you guys heard us discuss this. Actually, I I just sprung it on Matt live on a show one mm. day, and and we decided because uh, season two of Discovery uh, features Captain Christopher Pike and number one and who knows who else from from this era, we thought it might be good to refresh our memories. Yeah. So. Uh, it is my turn, so why don't I tell you what happens in The Cage? Okay, let's go back. All the way back to the beginning. It'd be nice to hang out with the original crew of the Enterprise. Why, there's Trip Jr. And Tilly's little sister. And Majel in a different wig that I'm used to seeing her in. That's old man alcoholic enabler, MD. And the captain, weary dad who's seen some shit. <laughs> Oh, but wait, there's one guy I recognize. It's Leonard Nimoy in pointed ears. Uh, wait, though. I mean, they call him Spock, but this guy smiles without having to be possessed by alien spores or whatever. And when the women disappear from the transporter pad, he reacts thusly. Here's my quote, actually. The women! This ain't my father's Spock. Well, well my father ain't got a Spock. 
But you get what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm sure it's hilarious to some people that we're doing this episode again because we complained about it so much eight years ago. But here's a fun fact. I didn't remember almost any of this episode, and this summary certainly hasn't been helping get anyone up to speed so far. I guess I should start talking about the actual plot. All right. So Captain Christopher Pike is considering leaving Starfleet because he's, uh, well, I said, he's seen some shit. Specifically, there was some previous adventure involving a castle that really messed him up. It's not quite a Starfleet celebrity turned into a Borg and murdered my wife, but uh, everybody has their own personal (laughs) quitting threshold, I suppose. Except me. If I didn't quit after season three of Enterprise, it's it's obvious that I'm simply (laughs) incapable of it. (laughs) So before Pike can hand in his two-week notice to the Starfleet district manager, the Enterprise receives a distress call from a lost Starfleet ship, the SS Columbia. You can tell the ship's been missing for a while because it's from before when we invented putting you before the SS. So the Enterprise heads to Talos 4, where Pike is almost immediately separated from the landing party and presented with all manner of enticing fantasies. Naturally, this is the perfect Star Trek future where people don't want their heart's fondest desires for... reasons. So he resists. And they keep throwing fantasies at him. And he keeps resisting. This goes on and on and on for so long that he's finally rescued by Captain Picard. (laughs) Oh, and central to every fantasy is a young woman named Vina. Turns out Vina was the only survivor of the Columbia, and the Talosians are using their veiny, bulbous mind powers as an elaborate dating app for her. But because of the aforementioned Star Trek thing, Chris finally breaks free and leaves Vina on Talos 4 uh, to live in loneliness and and isolation for the rest of her life. Or until, like, three weeks from now, where he'll be confined to a technologically advanced wheelchair capable of doing a complete 180. Wow. I'm pretty proud of that one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so here we this, are. Yeah, this this was where it all started. Yeah, um, this is the show that the network de- deigned to be too cerebral. I I think that's that's a bit much. Mm-hmm. Even even correcting for the time, even saying okay, nineteen sixty six audiences maybe aren't used to science fiction. You know what? Nineteen sixty six audiences grew up on the Twilight Zone. Yeah, they can handle nineteen sixty six audiences are fine. I mean, science fiction was kind of like there was a big boom in the 50s and I think it had kind of passed as far as like TV, like you didn't have the outer limits anymore. You didn't, I don't know, Lost in Space, I think was starting around this time. That that doesn't speak highly of anything. Lost in Space is terrible. No, but I'm just, I'm trying to, trying to set the tone. Like it was mostly Westerns as far as the eye could see. Yeah. Like everyone in Star Trek worked in Westerns because when you were an actor in TV, that that's where the work was. Yep. Then we got this. A man named Gene Roddenberry had one good idea. I had uh, one and a half or two, maybe. He had a lot of half ideas that other people made better. Yep. He's he's that's that whole G, uh, George Lucas thing. Yep. Look, or or H.P. Lovecraft. There's there's a ton of guys mm. like this. Look, you just you just come up with the basic core of the idea, and we'll we'll, we'll make we'll it into it something from, good. Okay? Uh, we talented writers will take it from here. Yeah. We will peel away your sexism and and everything else and try to make it something, you know, decent. They they should have peeled harder on the sexism on this one. Uh, well, there's a there's a there's an interesting dichotomy mm-hmm. here. This is my bad thing. Yeah, roll into that. Despite the presence of several women on the bridge, yep. including the particularly awesome number one. Number one we'll get to. Oh, absolutely. There's some real gross 60s misogyny here, especially in the Orion Slave Girl Oh, scene. God. That whole Orion Slave Girl scene is so fucking nasty. It is. And it's like, okay, you know what? If we're on the pleasure planet with, with exotic dancers, there's a way to do this that's a little sleazy, but you could probably make it like, well, it's fine. Like, 
they're completely autonomous and this is their choice and they make more money in a day than you make in a year yeah. or whatever you know like there's there's a way to give them some dignity they didn't no the um and it felt one like gross... someone came into the room with a with a vacuum specifically designed to suck dignity out yeah one gross creep in particular says they like it when you take advantage of them <sighs> hey, the Fucking girls disgusting yeah no it's it's just awful uh-huh. and uh i think uh you pointed this out there's a there's a point where uh pike is like wondering what he's gonna do if he leaves starfleet and he's like maybe i could become a slaver oh god right like th- this is our hero in the first yeah. episode that, like theoretically we're supposed to follow this guy for an entire series yeah and what is the first thing maybe i should quit and be a slaver i could own yeah. people that could be fun now, I get that it sounds like an exotic space thing, but it's also still, it's super gross. It's really, really, it, come on, yeah. guys. No. I, I. But then, like I say, Dichotomy, mm-hmm. number one was a very strong, very capable character uh-huh. that doesn't get her ass slapped, really only has to deal with like one or two very minor, like um, uh, sort of off the cuff remarks. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sexualizing her. There's a, there's a point where... Uh, Pike says no women on the bridge and he says well except you you don't count yeah, which is kind of shitty you know what I mean number one you're not a woman yeah you're just one of the guys which is still a little that's shitty pretty, but it's, it's nowhere still gross but it's at least it's a different kind of gross yeah there's there's at no point is she treated I mean well, I don't want to say that either because the Orions be, or the, the Telosians beam down like possible mates yeah. for Pike and she's one of them so they there's a little bit of the that. women <laughs> right <laughs> we'll get to that but he, she's like, I kind of get by 1966 standards why the network said, whoa, hey, which is too bad. Yeah, well, I mean, she's my, Majel is number one's my good thing. Like, she's yes. fucking great in this episode. Like, let's be honest, the only things that really carried over on <clears throat> to Real Trek were Spock and the Enterprise. But I would have loved for her to have come along as number one. She's a great character and weird and kind of mysterious and also kind of a badass. Yeah, like okay, there is still some residual 60s shittiness, but if you if you imagine that character we saw in this episode in future episodes of Star Trek, there are no other women like her. Yeah. She's a lot stronger and they clearly had to back off of that a no, little I mean, bit, which when, is too bad. When we found out we were going into Discovery, I was very excited to see more of Captain Pike, but I was very excited to know to when I heard that number 1 was going to be around. Yeah, and they cast uh, Rebecca Romaine, which I don't. I only know her from the X Men movies. Yeah. I don't like. I assume she's probably pretty good, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm excited to see. Like I've always wanted to see that character yeah. done more. Like I don't want to. I don't need to see more Spock, more Pike. Okay, but mm-hmm. more number one, absolutely. Even Pike got to show up in the uh, in the new movies. Like yeah, exactly. This is a character that has been like probably to this point in Trek history the most mysterious. We know nothing about her. Yeah, I think there was a Peter David book about her, and that's the only uh, other thing yeah. I've ever seen. No, and she's shown up in some novels, but yeah. I mean, canonically, she's showed up in nothing except this. Exactly. And No, there was a Peter David book that I read um, that had a bit set in this era that uh, extrapolated that she programmed the original speaking computer, yes. and that's why it sounds like Majel Barrett, which I thought was a cute little thing. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking of. That was a good book. Uh, that was, I think it was The Rift. Yes, yeah. Because it's one of those where we visit a planet with Pike's guys and then we come back to it 20 years later mm-hmm. and it's with Kirk's guys and Spock is the only common yeah. element. Uh, like the first chunk is set on Pike's Enterprise and it was interesting right. watching him like figure out these all these characters from one episode. Yeah. No, and I've read a few other things like that. Mm. The the Discovery book that I've gone on and on about not particularly caring for was about Pike's Enterprise because 
uh, they had, you know, scenes between uh, Michael and her mirror. Spock. Oh, Lord. Yeah. But uh, they, they it tried to flesh them out a little, too. But I, I'm very curious to see what Discovery does with, with these characters. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see more than just those two, honestly. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a lot of, like, there's... There's the old bartender dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, the doctor, whatever. Ensign Ricky. <laughs> I swear he just looked like Trip Jr. You, to me. As soon as you said that, I'm like, yeah, that's him, all right. I'm surprised you didn't spot that. <laughs> just, he looked a lot like the guy who played Trip. I think I was too distracted thinking he looked like Howdy Doody. Well, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that, that Venn diagram is not exactly, like, those those circles touch. You ain't wrong. And I say this as a, as a gangly red-haired dude. <laughs> I got a lot of howdy duty back in my day. <laughs> wow, that was a that was an old reference back then too. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I know. I got a lot of Opie too, which was also like, there's not a lot of red haired people to compare me to. That's the thing. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Fucking bullies from when you were a kid should try harder. <laughs> Conan O'Brien hadn't been invented yet, <laughs> nor had the Gingers episode of South Park. So Ugh. that must have been yeah. fun for you. Thank Christ for that. Uh-huh. I was like 30 when that came out. <laughs> Um, now you, you mentioned that not much carried over and you, and you're right in a sense, but my good thing is I'm kind of impressed how much Star Trek is actually already That's there. That's the thing. Physical things don't move over, but there's a lot of Star Trek stuff in here. Oh, none of the characters. No. Like everything they improve on is, is character based as they completely, you know, clear the table of everybody except Spock, who's not like Spock. And we'll talk about that in a minute mm-hmm. too. But most of what makes Trek. Trek, like I thought, okay, we'll get we'll get glimmers of it, but it's really not going to get like perfected until yeah. later. No, it's already here. The whole hopeful future thing, the the slightly irritating moralizing, the whole sci-fi premise mm-hmm. of how the ship works and all that, like the, the transporter, it's all there. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that this world that is so unique, you know, like everyone knows what it is now. Yeah, but it, it just sort of arrived fully formed. I mean, I'll say this: Gene knew what he wanted going out of the gate. Like, I and you know. It it was Gene's idea, but there were a lot of people involved. Well, like, I, I I would just say with this, like, yeah, this is the most like the most Gene Roddenberry of anything you're going to get going forward because he like he definitely yeah, wrote this wrote and sort of produced this one. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, um, a lot of this sci-fi stuff came from actual like uh science consultants. Oh, sure. They actually said, hey, how would we go faster than light and how would a transporter conceivably work mm. and stuff like that? Like, like they were his basic ideas, but he actually put a little bit of thought into like, okay, but let's not make it just fantasy magic. Let's actually put, yeah. you know, some science into it. And there's not a lot of science, but a little bit. Mm. Like he ignored some of it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, no. he's Gene. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's very good. <laughs> um. But yeah, like all the characters will change completely. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting to me that they could do the menagerie, which you know canonizes this and says the events that happened here actually happened yeah. and weren't just something we need to forget about because it's so much like the thing that happened later. It's real easy to just slot it in and say this was an adventure that happened yeah, before. This, is, this was Spock's captain before he uh, before he uh, before Kirk yeah. took over the Enterprise. Where some shows have unaired pilots and it's like, oh, no, that doesn't count yeah. because that contradicts everything. Mm-hmm. This is surprisingly easy to reconcile with everything. Else. There's it, a couple of things. Yeah. And it's an in- it's an interesting use of something that they were just going to throw away, you know? No, it absolutely was. And they spent a lot of money on this, yeah. too. You can tell. It, it looks a little it's better. It's a real than... good looking, uh, uh, yeah. like the set's fucking gorgeous. Well, and I I said this back eight years ago, I'm sure. Mm. It reminds me a lot of Forbidden Planet. Have you, have you seen I Forbidden Planet? I still haven't Planet? seen Forbidden Planet. 
it is one of the best, like, you know, uh, sci-fi movies of its time. Mm. Like, it's up there with uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, there's a couple like that. Maybe Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The only thing I know about Forbidden Planet is that it has that robot in it. Who yeah, they treated as just a robot. robot who would be who would act as robots in other sci-fi movies, which I always thought was really funny. Yeah, Robbie the Robot. Yeah, there's there's him, and then there's another one who is almost identical but slightly different. Sure. And both of them are at the Sci-Fi Museum in Seattle, and they they have them uh, arranged about five feet apart, and they just trash talk each other. <laughs> That's great. Which is very funny. <laughs> is it the robot from Lost in Space? Yes. That's, That's amazing. Yep. The only good thing about Lost in Space. Oh, <laughs> uh, if you go back and read stuff from from this era, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it had happened yet, but uh, there was a lot of like, oh, Lost in Space is doing this. We need to absolutely not do it because we're not like that show. No, because anyway. Lost in Space is trash. It's just a kiddie show. That's mm-hmm. all. Now I remember when the when the when the movie came out years ago, um, mm-hmm. they started playing Lost in Space on the Sci Fi Channel, not the Sci Fi Channel, mm-hmm. the Canadian Sci Fi Channel, Space. Yeah. And I right. watched a lot of them. Like this is the worst fucking thing I've ever seen. Ah, it's just it's just a kids show, is all. They fight a carrot. I know. I don't know. I've heard I've heard things about the more recent reboot on Netflix, mm-hmm. mostly because the robot is sexy now. Yeah. I still need so to check I... that out. That's on my giant list of Netflix shows. I still need to watch. Hmm. Yeah, I just keep watching Cheers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's fair. Cheers is very good. I might have mentioned this, but uh, I was watching one and I was looking at Kirstie Alley. I was like, she'd make a good Vulcan. Oh, wait. Wait a minute, you idiot. <laughs> That's me. I've reviewed every episode of Star Trek, some twice. Mm-hmm. Idiot. <laughs> and Frazier would make but, a really good Star Trek, uh, Starfleet captain, too. Yeah. And uh, Cliff, he could he could have a minor part in a Star Wars movie. And what if Sam was from The Good Place? <laughs> if only. <laughs> um... But speaking of characters who will not really be the same at all, mm-hmm. like we say Spock is the only thing, but is Spock like, is this even the same Spock? The, it's a very. This is your bad thing. Someone apparently told Leonard Nimoy that his character needs to talk very loudly all the time because mm-hmm. he spends the entire captain. He's the women. He's not shouting most of the time, but he is talking very loudly. It's not just that he's very animated and it's obviously hard on our audio show to to illustrate this, uh-huh. but there's a bit where they run into these uh, singing plants, which actually remind me a bit of the plants in that disco episode. Yeah. Like, I wonder if that was influenced by this. That wouldn't surprise me. It's a neat, it's a neat effect. Yeah, it's, and it's very simple. Mm. It's just some leaves on some wires vibrating to some sound effects. Like, it's, you can see how they do it real easy, but it's still, it's still interesting mm. and neat. And he's got this giant smile on his face as he's le- leaning up to touch it, like this sense of wonder, yeah. like, oh, we look at cool things on this science ship. Check this shit like, out, Captain. Who the fuck are you, man? And I've seen, and you probably have seen uh, stuff in sort of the the non-canonical like books and everything mm-hmm. that try to reconcile that. Like, oh, he was trying to be human back then, or he was, you know, like there's a bunch of different explanations. I, I, I've always been, you know, like, if you can find a good excuse for that, I'm open to it. But like, you know, it's the, yeah, pi- I don't it's care the pilot. Much. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But. I I get a feeling we don't know this yet. Obviously, I get a feeling that's what Disco's going to do. I mean, if that's what they want to do, I'm per- like, you know, I think their intention is is to give us this. I guess I'm tired of secret origins of things I didn't ask for. Mm-hmm. But I think they're going to explain why he was way more emotional when we first met him. Sure. And then, uh, although technically we always treat this as the first episode, technically it wasn't. Mm. This was unaired for years, and actually, I remember. 
uh, in the 80s when I first started sort of getting into Star Trek uh, on VHS, the episode that they had was half in black and white. Oh, weird. Did you ever see that? I guess you didn't see that version. No, I only ever saw it uh, when it started uh, running. It, like I would watch Trek after school uh, mm-hmm. and it was. Just, and they put that in with the other. Yeah, it was just in the regular rotation. Oh, that's cool. I don't remember any of it being black and white, but it's entirely possible. Well, what happened was, um, and I might have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I got this right. Uh, they only had a black and white copy of it, mm. like preserved, and they were able to insert uh, color footage from the bits that were in the menagerie. Oh, okay. So everything that appeared in the menagerie was in color, but it would shift between color and black and white depending on what footage they had. Ah. And either they finally found the rest of the color footage or they just colorized it. I don't know. Sure. But uh, like, I, I remember watching this and it kept shifting back and forth. It was very distracting. I bet. And it would have been fine if it was all in black and white. Mm. That would have been okay, but it was it was very weird. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is like it was like a it was like an extra. It was like a bonus thing. Mm. It wasn't like like after the whole set had come out, you could also get that. And even when you got the DVDs, it didn't come on like season one. It came at season three at the end. Yeah, I remember that. The in the 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 yellow, blue, and red chunky DVDs, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, the big plastic case thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You get the cage as like a bonus thing after season three was over. So weird. It's just it. We treat it like the beginning because that's how I think of it. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're being technical about it, which we never have, <laughs> the first episode is, you know, yeah. where no man has gone before, or really, um, uh, the man trap, yeah, because that's the first one that aired. For the longest but, time, it was this thing that I just read about in like all of the Trek books I had. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like to the point where when it came on that time, I just I remember like I was like, fuck, it's the pilot. <laughs> Well, and you might have been reading stuff that was written before it was available. Because mm. there was a period in like the 60s and 70s, like when it was in reruns, but they didn't have that episode. Yeah. Or maybe it was only in black and white or something like that. But we didn't have, you know, easy access to it like we have now. Yeah. I know that. Well, I'm specifically thinking of uh, reading from the Star Trek Compendium, which was the ah, Trek yes, book of my youth. Uh-huh. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. One of the things we bonded Big over. Big white paperback. I don't know if yours was white, but. Uh, had... No, they, they re-released it a few yeah, times. Yeah, they did. Had a picture of Spock and Kirk on the cover. I have that one. Yeah. That was, except mine was black. Oh, weird. But then there was another one that came out after Star Trek VI came mm. out, I think, that was like a different I color. bet that's the one I had, because mine had uh, ah. Star Trek VI stuff in it. No, I started getting into it in the later movies, so I bought it when like it went up to five. Mm. Six didn't exist yet. Okay. So like late 80s, early 90s. Which been uh, like, yeah, this else? would have been like 91, 92 for me, probably. Yeah. Whenever Trek VI, VI came out. Uh, 91. Okay. December of 91. I, I have a very specific memory yeah. of it. No, I remember that too. My parents rented it and watched it with me and I had no idea what was going on because it was all about politics. Yeah. Right. Now, the first movie that I saw was four, which is, you know, the best sort of entry. Oh, yeah. Like, entry level Star Trek. And then I saw five and was like, I knew nothing about Star Trek and I knew it wasn't very good. <laughs> then I kind of went back and got caught up a little and saw six. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh... There's a bunch of stuff. I love the um, I love the away team uniforms, the uh, the jackets. Yeah, I I I am a sucker for a Starfleet jacket. Yeah, it turns I don't know out what that right. Is. Yeah, but I love I love them jackets. Now, what I like is um, they have uh the the sort of pale uh, yellow uniforms that they'll have in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Mm. Then they have the gold like they'll have later, mm. and then they have blue like there's yellow and there's gold. There's also like uh the yeoman wears like a weird, almost red. It looks I can't I cannot tell what co- orange maybe. 
Could, I think that's what I'm talking about. I think that's like the gold, and then there's also that might the yellow. be okay. It it yeah. looks real weird when like it really clashes with the other two uniforms. Well, it's it's because you expect the primary colors. Yeah, like they give us a nice and honestly on actual navy ships. There's a, there's a reason they put them all in very distinctive bright colors. It's like when you're on a carrier or whatever. Mm. I used to work around Navy guys. They told me about this. Um, there'd be a guy like up on the up in the tower or whatever looking down, and you'd see, oh, I got ten white shirts and ten red shirts sure. and four blue shirts, and then you know, like, okay, these guys are mechanics, these guys are you know technicians, whatever. You know how many you have without like just at a glance. Yeah. So like, there's a reason for the bright colors that you can tell from each other, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um. Oh, they call they call warp time warp. Yep, we got to enter the time warp, and we got the weird transparent. The bridge goes transparent, and you can see the stars in the background flying by. <laughs> oh yeah, and then the theme song starts. The playing. theme starts th- song starts, and just the woman from the theme song just starts wailing away. Mm-hmm. The Netflix version I was watching just says "woman vocalizing" on the <laughs> on the subtitles. I mean, that's how I describe Which, it. Yup. <laughs> yeah. I almost wish there was just a designated crewman to just, all right, we're entering warp drive. Hit it. (laughs) It's not on a tape. They have to sing it live every time. Yeah, otherwise the warp drive won't work. Yeah. There's, I I mean, that sounds like a yeoman's job. The the stuff with the yeoman was kind of gross. Well, here's the thing. Pike's not very likable. No, he's not. And I get what they're going for. And I I made the comparison to Cisco on purpose because... It reminded me of that. It reminded me of, really, we're jumping in with an angry guy who wants to quit, and yeah. this is our hero? It's. A, I mean, we probably said this at the time. It's a real real risk having your main character not like the captain when he first shows up. Yeah, but on the other hand, I think, like, for 60s TV, it's kind of bold. Like, he has a clear arc in this, mm-hmm. whereas some in later episodes, the captain does it, though. Yes. This guy actually... Like, started in one place, learned a thing, mm. and then came out the other side thinking something different. Yeah. And not every Star Trek episode had that. But it also ends with him, again, snapping at his yeoman, and I got no time for that. Yeah, no, I don't love that. And the the dynamic is, oh, you're just a young girl. You don't know anything. Like, ugh. Yeah. Whatever. It's, 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 it's real gross. But the choice to make him not perfect, mm-hmm. like... This this flies in the face of all that sort of Gene Roddenberry revisionist history bullshit. Yeah. Of like, uh, you know, it's everyone's perfect and nobody has any flaws in the field. No, this guy's been through some shit. He doesn't know how to deal with it. Maybe a little bit of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Like, he's it's, it's a little rough a for him. And died. Yeah, and that's good drama. Yeah. Like, that part of it. Like, I wish he wasn't the way he was to his yeoman. Mm-hmm. But broadly speaking, I kind of like what he's going through. It's like... There's some Star Trek shit happening out here, and I'm kind of sick of this. I like it. I'm so tired of having to fight knights in this castle. <sighs> if only I could own some people. That's what I want. I, I don't like that part of it, but I do like that they just like they just drop us into this world. Like, yeah, I, I like that la- quite a bit. Last week we fought some knights. Whatever. Yeah, it was weird out here in space, man. That's that's just normal for us. It's weird. Yep, I like it. Uh, but also this episode felt slower to me and I don't know if I'm less patient than I used to be or if I see through the, the, the you know, the, I, the formula more. The middle but... feels real saggy. Yeah, it does. When they're just, when they're just moving him from like fantasy to fantasy. Yeah. And there's a lot of back and forth of like, do it. No, do yeah. it. No. Ugh. Which I mean, okay. I guess that, you know, that's a grand Trek tradition that starts here. Yeah. But I still don't like uh-huh. it. 
Maybe the golf. Maybe out. this golf. Uh, this golf planet will uh, entice you, Captain. No. How about this growth oh, that's Mo- planet? <laughs> that's Mojave, the golf planet. Uh huh. Yeah. Because we've t- actually, I thought that was a nice little bit of uh, like we terraform the desert by the by the twenty third century. Sure. Thought that was pretty cool. Uh-huh. We've evolved beyond the need for your Earth deserts. Yeah. No. There's there's places on Earth that that aren't irrigated enough, and we solved that. Mm. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, also, I didn't realize this until Memory Alpha pointed it out. Um, you know, technically, whether you count, I mean, this is absolutely canon, but is the only time you see Earth, like on Earth, in the entirety of the original series. Oh, I guess that's true. Huh. And it's an illusion, so it doesn't actually yeah. count. But it's still, they never actually like went to Earth of the 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 future, on you know, in the original series at all. Mm. Like we saw, you know, uh, planets that were like Earth, or we went back into the past, but. We never really visited Earth of the 23rd century until the movie. Sure. So that was, that was kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, uh, what else? We get the third Trek captain or the th- first Trek captain who is really into horses. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think when they were making um, Generations, well, it was probably Shatner telling them that he's into horses. Now, I'm sure that was a but, contract thing. But Generations sure felt a lot like it was drawing on this. Yeah. Uh-huh. A guy is offered eternal happiness and bliss by some mysterious alien force and he can ride horses forever and he doesn't want to do yeah. it. Yeah. Like, that sure feels the same. Apparently, this is just the thing that all all captains are afraid of. Is Yeah, but what if things got easy and I had to ride a horse everywhere? I don't get it. Yeah. Like, if you offered me my perfect utopia for forever, I'd probably take it. Mm-hmm. I don't... Humans were meant to struggle. Yeah, okay, uh, but struggling's terrible. Sorry, I've struggled for almost 35 years now. I'm about done. Yeah, if we were meant to struggle, I think I've, I think I paid my dues. Yeah. I think I can retire now yeah, from the I'll, struggle. Um, I'd be quite happy just working at this computer quietly for the rest of the time. Yeah. Fine with me. Yeah. Um, his, his horse, Tango. Is that what it was? Yep. He says... Oh. He runs up to it. Tango! <laughs> Very important that the horse be named. Uh-huh. Oh, God. One of the most boring Star Trek books I have ever read <laughs> was about Captain Pike and his horses. Oh, God. Jesus. I bet it got better, but I seriously made it. And I'm not, this isn't me being like, like uh, super impatient. Like I made it halfway through that fucking sure. book. And it was just about him and his horses. This like, get look, on with it. Man, like, yeah. I'm reading a Trek book. I'm here for something very specific. It's called Star Trek. And there's a there's an author, uh, Margaret Wander Bonanno, I think her name mm-hmm. is. Um, she wrote a couple of books that I actually quite liked, and it was about Captain Pike. I'm like, I know nothing about this guy. Yeah, let's l- like author that has proven that she's pretty good and character I'm interested in. Let's go, horses. It's just, it's the entire time, just <laughs> goodbye horses. Ugh, I wish goodbye horses. It was hello horses the whole time. <laughs> what are like, you? I feel like what are you doing here? <laughs> Captain Pike and Tango? Is this a crossover episode? <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, I distinctly remember saying this when we did the first episode, and I'm going to say it again. I love the yeah. Telosian brain effects. Oh, yeah. They, it no, I love... Looks the look so of good. the Telosians is better than probably any of the aliens we would get on the original series, like, in its entire yep. run. They had this great... They, the Binars actually reminded me of that. Yeah. In, in that they cast, like, um, uh, little people or something like that. Mm. Or maybe children. I don't know. Yeah, but, I can't tell, know, but, I mean... People who are noticeably shorter than our, than our main characters. And then they give them these weird 
bulby vein, you know, bulbous veiny foreheads. And they do that throb thing whenever they're like using their powers and it looks real yeah. fucking good. Yeah, it does. And, you know, just makes you think like, oh, if they had this much budget for the rest of the series. Yeah, uh, they, they didn't. Nope. I mean, they also had that goofy looking gorilla monster thing. That's true. And the giant bird monster. Mm-hmm. But, you know. <laughs> of course. Uh-huh. But, you you know, it also, like, as a, as a sampler platter, as this is what you get when you get Star Trek, yeah. that's not a bad, like, here's here's everything we're capable no, of right you're now. You're definitely seeing um, sort of what you're going to, you, what you've got ahead of you. This is where you're starting, you know? Yeah, but I mean in terms of selling it to the network. Oh, sure. And, you know, I, I do know, uh, I was reading this on Memory Alpha and I've read it elsewhere as well. Um, the network... Uh, when they presented all their possible ideas, the network picked the most expensive one mm-hmm. and said, here, if you can pull this off, you can pull the whole show off. Yeah. Like, they had a couple of bottle episodes. They had a couple of use the backlot episodes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nope, do this one. Yeah. If you can do this one, you can do a sci-fi show, which I thought was pretty yeah. cool. Uh, uh, anything else? Good looking set. I do wish, like, yeah, Pike wasn't very likable, but I, I kind of wish we'd had Jeffrey Hunter the whole time instead of Shatner. Yeah, well, you know, that's because Shatner's a dick. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know much about this guy. I do know, like, having read, uh, it was in the 50-year mission, um, his wife didn't want him to do it, and was, she was making all the decisions. It was kind of weird. That is weird. Yeah. Like, he, I don't think he ever said no. I think his wife was speaking on his behalf. Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe he was scared to. Maybe he was terrified of Gene Roddenberry. I don't know. <laughs> why? I know. Yeah, I'd like, I really like it. you to be in my Star Trek show. It'd be a real shame if something happened to you there, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to bury you in eggs. <laughs> Is that the only thing you know, that thing we made up? Yeah. Okay. Also, I think it's really this... funny, so... There's so many real life gross things about. Oh, him. I'm aware. I'm uh, I'm reading the second fifty year mission book right now, and trust me, I'm well aware of the disgusting and horrible things Gene Roddenberry got up to. Yeah, and that was later in life when he was almost dead. Uh huh. But uh, the, the, yeah. they make a huge deal about. Well, Gene was keeping the Star Trek's vision alive, and all I can think is, I don't think, I I think all Gene knew about start the vision of Star Trek was what it wasn't. Yeah. And what it wasn't was anything anyone else made up. Yeah. Definitely no conflict, no like character flaws, no. But again, you see this, this is like you say, the most pure representation of, of Gene Roddenberry yeah. right here. There is conflict, mm-hmm. and uh, Captain Pike is a very flawed character on purpose. Yeah. It's not like he's flawed in the sense of we're looking back and like, oh, that guy's not great. No. Uh-huh. Like, no, he's he's designed to be a little broken. Yeah. Like this isn't the perfect Starfleet utopia. People have problems. Mm. And Gene understood that at some point in his life. Yeah, they apparently, you know, like, Kirk's a very different character to this. And, and that's a good move. You don't, yeah. like, if if Jeffrey Hunter wouldn't come back, it's a good move to create a new character. No, absolutely. You don't want to just And move. to not recast Captain Pike as someone else. Yeah. That'd be weird. Even if no one's seen it, yeah. it's still like, no, write a character that, that feeds into this character, this actor's, you know, weird energy. Mm-hmm. Very weird energy. Very, very weird energy. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, speaking of Majel, mm-hmm. this is a famous story. We probably even talked about it at the time, but this is always funny to me. Uh, when they were doing the, the Green Orion Girl thing, mm-hmm. um, they uh, she did the, the, the test for it. 
Oh, yeah, I like this story. (laughs) They made her up head to toe in green makeup and sent it to the lab and it came back because they want to see how it looked on film. And it came back and she just looked normal. Mm. Like, what what the hell? I guess it's not green enough. All right, make it greener. (laughs) Did it again. Sent it back and comes back normal again. And it happened a bunch of times. And they finally go to the lab and say, what? What's going on? And they're like, oh, you keep sending us these weird, like, over green photos, so we're correcting them for you. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) That's also a testament to how good Desilu or whoever's uh, photo lab was. Yeah, apparently. That they could make it look, you know, normal skin toned after all that work. There you go. You're welcome. Yeah. I don't know what you're doing with your lights or whatever, but geez. Ricky, I want to work in the color correction lab. (laughs) Wow. There's a thing in Memory Alpha where they talk about um, they handed this pilot script to to Lucille Ball and never heard anything. Mm-hmm. And that sounds about right. Yeah. Like, she gets some credit for keeping Star Trek alive and all that. She had no direct involvement in it whatsoever. Yeah. Like, she's great. Like, her comedy is not to my taste, but she is a very important woman to comedy, oh, totally. to, to entertainment. She was powerful in an era where women were not mm-hmm. powerful in entertainment. Like, I respect the hell out of her. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I do think she's funny outside like i just don't like i love lucy yeah that's fair i've i've seen her in some older movies that i think she's quite good in mm. but um but to give her a role in uh, green lighting star trek or keeping it alive is disingenuous she had almost nothing like she ran the studio but she did not give a fuck about the sure. show so i just i don't know i've just i've seen some things recently where it's like oh and lucille ball was the the yeah hero i see that floating around star- on tumblr no. occasionally it's, no it's no not true no i've heard people directly involved with the show yeah. say that's a good story but it just you know it is a great story. And the story of Desilu, the studio, mm. is sweet. Yeah. It's her and Ricky wanting to work together and buying a studio so they can go to work together yeah. and run it is is cute. But then they broke up when, like, when all the shows were being made and it turned sad. Yeah. But at first it was kind of sweet, you know? Like, let's parlay our success from sitcoms and do something together. Mm-hmm. That's nice. It is. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I know, Gene Roddenberry didn't try anything gross with her, so. Well. I almost wish he had, then he would have been fired. <laughs> right? I feel like she wouldn't put up with that shit. <sighs> Gene Roddenberry, real fucking gross. I mean, this this episode's full of, there's, there's whole aspects of it we hadn't talked about. There's the whole idea of putting Pike and Vina in a cage together so they'll fuck. Yeah, and God, he loved that kind of crap. And, well... He did. I'm not apologizing even an ounce for that. Mm-hmm. But you've I'm sure you've seen uh sci-fi from this era. Oh yeah. From the 50 the, the the sci-fi from the 50s loved and then a man and a woman crashed on a planet and their names yeah. were Adam and Eve. Yeah. No, trust me. How many times have you read that story? It's not that. It's just I'm reading this now and like all the trek I've seen over the years and all the stuff I've heard about Gene and all this he, Oh yeah. His, his 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 he has very specific kinks that are Always on display. No, that's true. And, you know, I bet mine are in my writing. I bet everybody's uh-huh, are in yeah, their writing. No. But, you know, that that doesn't mean you got to be gross about yeah. it. And I don't think we'd complain about it so much if he wasn't constantly given credit for being the most progressive guy that, in the world. That's the thing is the legend of Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Really. I would have shut up about him a long time yeah. ago if he didn't constantly. And people who don't know much about Star Trek, that's the thing they know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Gene Roddenberry was the vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's this, that's where that we get that phrase. actual quote from Brent Spiner that you and I both saw together. Yeah. Gene's visionary and, vision of a vision. 
It was him and Frakes. Was it uh, yes. Spiner who actually said that? Yeah. I think it was Spiner. Okay. It was one of the two, but it was either. Yeah, but they are clearly sick of hearing it, too. Yeah. And that, that was that was why we latched onto that so hard. Because mm-hmm. it was them winking at us and saying, yeah, Gene Roddenberry, whatever. Yeah. And like, yeah, finally. Yeah. That's what we think, too, guys. So that was nice. Yeah. No, I mean, and he did. He did. He really did. Mm-hmm. He made some good things. Yes. Yeah. Like this, there's a lot of good stuff in this show. Mm-hmm. And the fact that number one is there and exists on the bridge is pretty great. Yeah. But then uh, later in the episode, they beam her and uh, Yeoman Piper down. Like, okay, you don't want to fuck Vina. How, why don't you fuck one of these yeah. two? Like, come on. One woman's as good as another, right? Yeah. Also, they keep saying, and this is, you know, this is the standards of the time, but they keep saying uh, a husband-wife relationship. Yeah. Why don't you have a husband-wife relationship with her then? Like, ugh, ugh. That makes it even worse. We are crafting the perfect nuclear family. Yeah. Great. Thanks, buddy. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the it's future. It's sci-fi, though. Can you call it atomic family, maybe? A warp speed family unit. <laughs> Time warp. I'm Maurice LaMarche. <laughs> yes, so am I. <laughs> this is this is my Orson Welles impression. I don't sound much like Orson Welles. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, I think that's everything. All right. I mean, it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah. I liked it. I, I remembered liking it more than I did this time. So for those of you who insisted we go back, well, you've made me like the cage a little bit. Yeah, less. I mean, honestly, I'm glad we did this just because... Now that we've watched all of Star Trek, going back to where it came from is kind of a neat idea. Uh, I'm I'm not as into the full circle thing as you are, but I, if anything, because Discovery Season 2 is definitely going to deal with these characters and situations a little bit. Uh-huh. Like, not the events of this episode, but we're going to meet Captain Pike after these events happen, mm-hmm. and we're going to meet Number 1, and who knows who else. I really want um, Yeoman Piper to be friends with Tilly. Yeah, that would be amazing. Desperately want that. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm curious, maybe maybe we'll see Dr. Boyce. Yeah. Maybe we'll see Trip Jr. It'd be interesting to see who they take and, like, fill yeah. out, basically. My my guess, we only have the trailer. There might be another trailer I haven't seen. I don't remember. The one trailer had fucking contemporary music in it, which I hated. Yeah. But, um, but it had some good stuff in it. And seems to imply they meet up with the Enterprise for one episode, and then Pike comes over to Discovery for a yeah, while. Like, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of... Which, eh. Yeah. I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time... Like, I think we get maybe an episode with the Enterprise is my guess. Sure. Like, the the main focus is Pike coming over and, and commanding them for a while. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. Maybe both ships hang out for a while. Who knows? That'd be nice. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward yeah. to it. There's some things I I hope they handle right. And there's some, you know, like, there's, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm excited for Discovery Season 2. I'm hoping they tune up some of the stuff they got wrong last season. Yeah, but the when you see... Oh, God, I don't know. I hate being the guy who's like, yeah, it's not going to be any good. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Mm. But all the stuff they're talking about and green lighting right now, like they're talking about a Emperor Georgiou spinoff. Yeah. That con thing is still in development, which means two different shows about genocide could be carrying the Star Trek name. Yeah, that's a that's a hard. Well, not a hard pass. Obviously, I'm going to be watching it. I do a fucking yeah, podcast about it, it but yeah. it's not great. No. And I'm just like, uh, come on. And if that's the thinking back, you know, behind the scenes, mm. I'm worried that they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I really hope there's, as I've been saying over and over, Discovery has all the pieces in place for a good show. I just want them assembled in the right order. Yeah. Like, I love those characters. I could, the setting could be better, mm. but, you know, 
those characters. But I mean, I'm, now I'm that we're theoretically interested. out of the war, we could get to like you know the actual yeah, but it's still the, where no one has gone before stuff that I want to yeah, see. But it's still the prequel stuff, and also we're going to be dealing with Spock a lot, yeah. so we're not boldly going anywhere except back to Spock. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. I'm I am cautiously optimistic. Yep. I guess that's the best way to say it. Well, we'll know in a month. So yeah, we will. A little over um, a month. Yeah. Uh, the first episode of Discovery airs uh, in mid-January. Uh, for us, it will, like, so January 21st, we'll be reviewing them essentially in real time, mm-hmm. like, the same week they come out. Yeah. So, look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all for now. Next week, speaking of Discovery, yeah. we will actually, um, we're still we're still sorting out what happens next. Pretty, pretty Got a pretty good plan in place mm-hmm. now. Um, and what we'll be doing, rather than doing all of the, uh, uh, what do they call them, short tracks, mm-hmm all the discovery shorts uh, at once. We're going to do two of them next week. And then we're going to do the other two in early January. Yeah. So next week we will be covering uh, the shorts runaway and Calypso. Uh, I've seen them already. They're both pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, probably be a little bit of a shorter episode than usual, but I think the combined running time of them is about a standard episode of discovery. So, you know, be like what you've been used to yeah. r- lately. Um, and then we got a couple of sort of one-off things planned and then we'll do the other shorts and then into discovery season two. Yeah. Um, if you want to write to us, it is postatomicor at gmail. We always love hearing from you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, website postatomicor.com, uh, Tumblr postatomicor.tumblr.com. We are on Twitter at Algar at Robot Matt. And I think that's it. That is it. Uh, see you, folks. The Postatomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2018. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.